Hello, friends. Welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Allison Coden, an interaction designer at EPAM Continuum. I'm working on a new hobby. It's petty, needlessly time-consuming, and on a small scale, deeply satisfying. Unsubscribing. Opening long emails full of savings codes and offers from kids' stores, clothing stores, mattress emporiums, shoe sellers, car insurers, bakeries, and removing myself from literally dozens of mailing lists that I know I never signed up for. This is the apogee of the zero inboxer's particular stress, perhaps, but as Jesse Redness, founder and CEO of Consent and co-founder of Brave Ventures, and Sam Raymond, our chief information security officer and SVP, explain, our email addresses are often the least of what these companies are taking from us, their unwittingly exploited customers. Most of us are not particularly savvy about the data we give off. Moving through the world, shedding geography, demographics, spending habits, and credit history with every touch-click and online transaction— We certainly benefit from what the algorithms that process this data can do for us, from conveniently placed coupons to nicely targeted recommendations for songs and sneakers, but we rarely get opportunities to give truly informed consent to their continual information gathering. And really, who would say yes to indiscriminate collection of their IP address, home phone number, and physical location without some significant recompense? Let's hear Sam and Jesse explain these pitfalls, and also inspire us to innovate towards a better, more transparent future for customers and companies alike. Hey, Jesse. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I really, we had a great conversation the other day about privacy, and I really just want to pick your brain about it because a lot of people were asking me about the topic as well. And I, I know you know a lot about it and, and just want to get your insights into it. So maybe just on a very high level, where do you see we are, uh, where are we at uh, for privacy and different regulations? And, and, and maybe we can start from there. Yeah, Sam. No, it's great. I, I think yeah, I, I agree. I think we had a great conversation the other week, um, and it was just really the, the kind of the tip of the iceberg, right? When you when you think about it, um, you know, privacy in, in general is getting a lot of attention these days, um, especially as you know Apple's been in the headlines quite a bit um, with their new privacy settings that are in. If, if you have an iPhone, if you're an iPhone user, in iOS fourteen point five, um, and it really kind of. I guess you could say took the entire, you know, MarTech and ad tech in in data world by storm right. um, as they, you know, they'd really been, um, you know, signaling to the industry that they were going to make these changes a while ago, you know, I think nearly a year ago. And, and, and what, what Apple's belief is, you know, is that, you know, privacy is a personal thing. You know, privacy should err on the side of the consumer themselves. And so when you actually, you know, buy an iPhone, um, you may be using the Apple OS. However, Apple is building controls within the uh, the iPhone's OS system itself to allow a consumer to choose how and when and where they want to share their personally identifiable information. Uh, and in the case of the Apple 14.5 operating system, that identity is tied to what they call an IDFA, which is the the identity for advertisers. It is typically the piece of mobile device ID that is shared with ad tech stacks and martech stacks so that people can add you to segments and retarget you through advertising. And um, and, and the new updates in 14.5 really showed that as, as much as people in the industry think that people don't care right about their data and their privacy, people really do. Um, you know, some of the early indications of what this new app transparent, uh, transparency framework affords, um, which is essentially a, a modal that pops up uh, as you launch every single app on your phone that asks you whether or not you want to allow tracking, showed that only 
of people were actually opting in to allow this tracking. And those those were basically flurry analytics insights across uh, a you know a few hundred thousand different mobile phones running the new iOS 14.5. And that was through the end of April through the end of May. Um, so a, a good solid month of data um, to really show that, you know, nearly 90% of people actually don't want to have their data shared with external third parties off of their applications that they use. I, I think I, I agree with you. I think one of the most amazing thing about that was people start asking the right questions. I, I think for consumers, like, I, obviously, I have friends in, in a tech world, but also not in the tech world. And for people that's not in the tech world, per se, um, they're, they're asking different questions now. They're seeing this because they, they even a lot of people don't even know what would be tracked and what's being given away because there was no, in many ways, there was no consent. There was no explicit consent. And now there is a way to, to protect that, that privacy, that data. People are asking a lot of the right question. Where, where is that line? Do you see, because I, I actually have a number of people I was talking about startups and they're changing their business models. They're, they're trying to figure out new ways to figure out how to monetize. And what do you think is that line? Is there a connection between how business could actually utilize the data in a proper way, but at the same time still respect the privacy of the user? Yeah, so I, I, I think there absolutely is a way, right? And it comes down to value exchange, right? If, if you are engaging with a consumer and, and you want to leverage their PII, their personal identifiable information, which nearly every business is doing today, you know, nearly every business is asking for your first name, last name, and your email uh, in order to join a newsletter uh, so they can keep you up to date with the newest, you know, uh, information, products, services, discounts, whatever it may be. Um, that information that you're putting in, your, your first name, your last name, and your email <clears throat> qualifies as personal identifiable information. Um, so, you know, if you are a, any business today that is, you know, running uh, any type of digital service that you're capturing that information, um, you are in the business of dealing with PII data. Um, and I think, um, you know, when we think about all the direct-to-consumer relationships that every business wants to have, it's paramount, you know, to, to build a, a platform of trust and transparency with your consumers um, so that they know that when they're giving their information to you, it's for providing the services that you as a business say that you're providing. Um, and that you are not, you know, in the business of reselling that information. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of businesses that I think are going to get hurt, you know, data brokers, um, third-party email list brokers um, that are aggregating all of this PII data and, and selling it as a service to other businesses. You know, there's very few people I know today that are, are freely saying, oh, yeah, absolutely. Take my name, take my email, you know, take my device IDs and my IP information for my household and please go sell that to lists around the world, right? right? Uh, and, and I don't know who it's going to. I don't care because guess what? I'm going to start receiving robocalls all the time about my you know expired warranty for the car I don't own anymore. And I get that every single third day. <laughs> and, and for me, it's the, okay, great. How do I solve this problem as a consumer? How can I understand where all of my information is actually going? And, you know, most platforms and publishers and brands today, you know, believe that they are doing everything they can in order to give consumers the ability um, to opt in or opt out at their discretion. However, they're providing very fragmented services. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you go and you sign up on a website, you give your name, you give your email, you give your phone number because you also, you know, want to receive discounts because, 
brand X said, hey, by putting your phone number in here, we're going to give you 25% discounts and we'll send you text of those discounts. You know, you're then getting put into that brand CRM system and their, you know, their CDP, their, their, their consumer data platform. Um, and if I go to the website of brand X and say, you know what, I don't want to receive information from you anymore. I'm opting out and they ask me just for my email. It doesn't remove my cell phone number that I put in to receive that discount. And, and so in a way, you know, the brand is doing the consumer a disservice because the consumer doesn't understand that the brand has essentially siloed off all their pieces of data so that if you remove your email, they can still contact you via your cell phone number. And that brand, if they were smart, has probably built an identity graph and done some matching to find out how they can reach you on your home t- connected TV using your IP address. And they've probably you know, done an email match with an onboarder um, to basically say, great, you know, I've got this person's first name, last name, and I have their, their email address and their cell phone number. Who out there in the world of these service providers has the IP address for, for person X? Um, and now they actually have your IP address. So as the consumer has gone in and said, you know what, I don't want to receive that communication from you anymore via email, <clears throat> all it's done is removed you and your email from that list. It doesn't remove the behavioral targeting capability that they're hitting you on your phone and they're now targeting you in your household. And that, that is where the big disconnect is happening right now with the average consumer is that um, they don't truly understand how it all works. Uh, everyone in the industry you know, that works in this space understands how over the past five some odd years, um, all of these systems, these consent you know, platforms, uh, CRM platforms, CDP platforms have been aggregating consumer data specifically to enhance and enable marketers' capabilities to engage with consumers. Um, And now we are at that point um, where legislation is affording the consumer, you know, some actual rights to be able to control how that data is actually being used uh, and and to tell brands that like, like, listen, I might love you, but at the end of the day, I also want the ability to control how you're using my data. And I expect that relationship to be based on you know, a one-to-one relationship, me and brand X only, not me to brand X. And then brand X is giving it to the rest of the world. Right. Right. That second level of reverse of that indirection you talked about, which is, um, in fact, you mentioned about user. I was actually talking to somebody who's building a startup and he was, he was saying that, well, I don't track the username. I don't track any kind of, you know, what he would consider as, as, PII or personal identifiable information. And, and he said, well, what's wrong with that? And what he didn't know was I actually, and I've been through obviously a couple of demos that people were showing me using analytics to, to show based on behavior, as you mentioned, to actually correlate and narrow it down to a very high percentage to figure out exactly what that person is, which means, you know, you, you, even if you say you anonymize the information, that reverse process is happening Mm-hmm. In most cases, whether it's because of a lack, a uh, gap in technology, it wasn't, I, I personally believe most of the time it wasn't done because people want to circumvent or work around problems. It was just because there was a gap. They need to identify that certain person and they figure out a way to do it. And and that's something that's doable today on a daily basis. And that part, I think it's much harder for consumer to understand, which is I give away my, I, I, I even give them anything. I just say, you know, I give away my GPS location, but I didn't tell them who I am. Why is that a problem? That education is difficult. You, you, what do you, how do you think we can, we can help with that level of, you know, education, Jesse? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think a lot of it has to do with you know, um, content, right? Content uh, and marketing material that can get pushed out there. Uh, I think people in businesses like Apple in what they are doing with a lot of their privacy campaigns, like a huge push that they have right now is uh, an actual ad campaign that's running, you know, on TV, it's running on digital that is talking about privacy and what privacy means. Um, and, and Sam, what you were referring to is, you know, the inference component, you know, the, the inferred data versus deterministic data. Um, yep. And, you know, while we may not have to go as far, you know, to explain, you know, the nuances of data science and AI capability and an inferred data versus deterministic data, it should just be boiled down to plain English, simple terms of, hey, you know, here are the core data components that is you know, qualified as personally identifiable information, you know, your name, your email, your phone, your home address, um, you know, your IP address, what does that IP address mean? Okay, well, your Wi Fi is sitting on top of an IP address, and your connected TV, and every connected device in your household is connected to that IP address. And so as you engage with different products and services, um, that IP address is now identifying your household, you know, you, and everyone in your household and brands use that information to help target you. So uh, I do think we're at that stage where both advertisers and marketers um, and publishers and platforms need to be very transparent uh, and very clear with consumers about what is and what qualifies as person identifiable information and data. And then not just what it is, but what it is that these companies are doing with that data. Because when you when you actually dig into GDPR, um, which is the European you know global data protection um, rights, um, as well as you know newer emerging U.S. based legislation like the California Consumer Privacy Act, um, just yesterday Colorado you know passed their um, privacy um, initiatives, which is very similar to California's. Um, you know they are starting to really define the rights of the consumer uh, in the fact that they are starting to edge closer towards affirmative consent, unambiguous consent, being very clear with consumers about exactly what it is companies are doing with your data, um, not using uh, broad-based terms of service or privacy policies to cover everything about what is going to be done with your data. But instead, if your data is going to be used or sold or shared as part of an advertising use case, they have to actually you know, really provide a distinct use case of that data and get the consumer to give affirmative or explicit consent into the usage of that data. And quite frankly, the industry is not there right now, right? I think that the industry was just is just recovering from GDPR and CCPA phase one. Um, and now uh, the velocity at which privacy is coming into focus has picked up quite a bit. Um, and everything from the ad tech world um, to what Apple is doing and what Google is doing is showing indications uh, leading towards more rights, more capability for the consumer. Um, so along with what happens back of house, right, as we like to say, you know, on, on the, the backside, that thing that consumers don't really get to see, um, everything needs to be done front of house as well. The consumer really needs to be educated. The consumer really needs to be heard, uh, communicated with, and then provided the products and tools to actually be able to control their data elections, not just read privacy policies that let them know what they can do about it, and then a very poor user experience or product capability that doesn't afford them the ability to actually control their data. 
Yeah. And, and what do you think about innovation? It, it, is this – so I was having a debate with somebody else in, in the discussion group where we're talking about innovation and how this – some people were saying it might slow down innovation. I was actually on the other side debating that, it, yes, innovation would – we're talking about different areas generate, you know, different, maybe we can't be as sloppy anymore. We cannot just ignore what's important anymore. And that's a good thing to me, but it might just generate different kinds of innovation. What do you see? Do you see this as something that would slow down innovation or we're generating new areas or how do you feel about that? So, so I believe I'm, I'm in the same camp as you, Sam. Uh, I, I believe that this would actually spur innovation um, because what it does is it helps provide um, a new perspective, um, as well as some new filters in which innovators and product developers and, and business strategists um, can operate with. And, and a lot of what I see is this, in many ways, will force interoperability um, between competitors. Um, as we think about you know, the identity wars right, that happen between you know, Google and Apple and Amazon and Facebook, uh, and how they're building up all of their own closed ecosystems um, and, you know, data really doesn't go out. Data can only come in. Um, but when you look at the broader opportunity of what we see um, in IoT, in the connected household, um, in, um, in the growth of uh, EV connected cars and connected cities, you know, there, there is no one consumer that can truly say, I'm a full stack and product user of Apple and Apple only, or Android and Android only. Um, there are components of every consumer's life that is sitting on top of different OSs and different operating systems. And they've agreed to different terms, right? Whether or not it's your Gmail uh, and Google services, or you're using iOS and Apple and Apple Pay and Apple ID. Um, in order for, I think, the consumer to truly understand what the promise of the connected world and IoT and the connected household can be means that all these products and all of these systems do need to interoperate. And that means that they need to respect the wishes of the consumer and how the consumer wants their data leveraged and used on their behalf. Uh, and, and that's a really important concept there. It's on their behalf. Right? It's not the, okay, great, well, we need to protect our data collection capabilities from the consumers so that we can ensure that we have our first-party data strategy for our ad strategy. And therefore, we need to shut down any type of interoperability because we need our ad strategy be you know dominant over X, Y, and Zs. Um, I, I think that that type of thinking will drive innovation, will drive openness, um, and bring us from you know Web 2.0 to Web 3 uh, in a way that, you know, we can leverage some of these new Web3 capabilities to start truly pushing the boundaries of innovation, interoperability, um, and true consumer fluidity across digital experiences. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this too. I, I was working with a friend of mine, this is 15 years ago, way back in Co InfoGrid. It's a data dissemination group when I was still at Oracle. And one of the exciting things that we were working about, and, and it, it was just by accident we came about this problem of data dissemination that we're purely thinking about how much are we copying data from one side to another side we're making different versions of data from you know one machine to another machine how do we maintain integrity for data how do we know what the pedigree what the what the heritage or where did what the data came from and we were trying to solve that problem at the same time while the industry seemed to move towards well it's okay let's copy everything and you know disseminate everything across the board and worry about that later and and 15 years from now i would say i think it's a problem that's that was a it was a real problem 
probably maybe it was too early at that time, but somewhere now, I think it's a really good time for us to rethink this problem. How do we how do we cluster information? How do we set visibility for different rings of circles of information that cuts across multiple companies, but without directly tiding into the source and affecting people's privacy? I think all those problems, it's it's really actually going to drive innovation, as you pointed out, and and might come up with back to your first point, which I, I it's stuck in my mind as you were talking. It was just which is about value, which is about exactly what value do you bring to the client and what the end user, the consumer is willing to to provide, to give. You know, money is one way to pay for it. Another way to pay for it, other things. But but I want to be the person who can decide if I want to exchange that with your, with your value. So it, it goes back to that. So I think that pushes us it, it, from the engineering side to, to, to provide even more value and, and be more careful. In, in how we actually manage and you know what we need based on based on what we're trying to build. So, but that value that you described in the beginning, it's it's crucial. I think it, uh, I love how you put it. Yeah, I, I think in, in value comes in many different forms, as you just mentioned. You know, there there are so many different, I guess you can say, intrinsic values, right? Intrinsic value drivers that people care about today. You know, in, in some instances, uh, if we tie this to your health data experience. You know, you know, think about how archaic and old school it is when you go to uh, your different healthcare providers and, and try to, you know, fill out the form every single time asking for the exact same information on a piece of paper yep. <laughs> that you are writing down you know, yep. with, with pen that's asking for your name and your, you know, what did your different health profile look like and your birth date, all the same information that quite frankly uh, is sitting in a database. Right. And if they actually had the right user experience and permissioning uh, that was clear, right, uh, a consumer can say, hey, I can go from my dentist over to my core health court provider to, you know, the hospital that is closest to me um, and be able to authenticate in pretty seamlessly. And they have it all at the touch of a button or the scan of a fingerprint or, you know, a facial recognition capability. And while those things are scary to a lot of people, facial, facial recognition, at the end of the day, if you can show that ease of use, the fact that it saves you time and effort and is accurate and secure, um, then you're proving the value, right? Back to the consumer. Um, And and it also goes back to, okay, great. You know, um, I signed up for Jersey Mike's application because I love their sandwiches. And, you know, and they want to treat me to, you know, uh, my favorite sandwich, every 10th sandwich I get. And if I install their app and use it every time I buy a sandwich, uh, they can keep track of that. And there's value given there. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, that is a one-to-one, very clear and concise value exchange of I'm loyal to that brand and the brand is loyal to me and they're giving me value back. Um, and people recognize that, uh, and people respect that. And that's a huge business when you think about coupons and loyalty and reward systems. And it ties back into behavioral science of, of the dopamine shot that people get when they get something for free or a beautiful experience or an opportunity to be shown up on TV because they sent a tweet out, right? Cause they're a fan of the Yankees and they were tweeting about the Yankees. So these are, these are all the different, you know, capabilities um, and, and opportunities that any product developer and engineer has today to start thinking about, you know, how, how can we develop a value exchange system with the consumers um, that we want to bring into our world? Um, and how do we actually build a system of trust and transparency so they can get what they want from us and we can do the same thing from them? 
Great. Wonderful. Any, any, uh, before we go, Jesse, any advice for everybody out there, um, advice or, or anything that people should focus on or, or should really remember about privacy, both for the developers and, and for end users? Yeah, you know, I would say that um, at the end of the day, you know, to to be very conscious of the fact that it's a evolving space that is moving very quickly. And I think every single week we're seeing new headlines right now about a move that Apple made or that Google made or that New York State is being very aggressive with their privacy regulation. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the one thing that everyone should really think about is, you know, take take your job hat off and put your I'm a person, I'm a human, I'm a consumer hat on and think about the best experience, the best opportunity, um, the best integration that you would want as a consumer on any product uh, that you're engaging with uh, and build towards that. Um, and if, if you do that um, and you stay within the bounds of what, you know, the basic legislation is, is kind of outlining today, then you're going to win. You're going to have a winning experience. Um, because at the end of the day, it really is about the engagement that you get with consumers and their, the lifetime value you build with them. And if you actually you know, destroy that capability, destroy that trust and transparency and that value exchange model, it, it's going to be very hard to win a consumer back. So it's much cheaper to keep them versus have to go get them back. All that circle back to empathy, huh? I like that. Let, Absolutely. Let's let's have a let's have a different session on philosophy and talk about that. I'm serious about that. I think that's a <laughs> whole different discussion that we should get into. <laughs> no, I, I love that. I completely agree with you. I think I that's that. the that's the sense that 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 we all we all need to actually you know go forward and and, and be able to actually provide the next generation. You call it Web 3.0, 4.0, whatever it is, but. I think that's uh, that's going to be great. So, hey, yeah, thank you so much, man. Appreciate yeah, it. Yes, Sam, right. thank you. Let's talk soon. This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business, experience, and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Sam Raymond and Jesse Redness for their great conversation. Cheers to Kip Palalis, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Allison Coton, and I'm off to organize my inbox.